Good to see you tonight. Turn with me please to the Gospel of John chapter 3. John chapter 3. This is a very, very famous stopping ground for Gospel preaching. John chapter 3 and verse 1. We'll just, I'm not going to read every verse, but we'll get a sense of the passage and just read some key verses. Verse 1, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, notice he's not asking at first, he's saying, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God for no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him Jesus answered and said unto him verily verily I say unto thee except a man be born again or born from above he cannot see the kingdom of God Nicodemus saith unto him how can a man be born when he is old can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born Verse 9, repetition again. Nicodemus answered and said unto him, How can these things be? Verse 10, Jesus answered and said unto him, Art thou a master of Israel, and knowest not these things? Verily, verily, I say unto thee, We speak that we do know, and testify that we have seen. And ye receive not our witness? If I have told you earthly things, and ye believe not, how shall ye believe if I tell you of heavenly things? And no man hath ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man which is in heaven. Now the Lord Jesus is going to answer his question right now. How can these things be? He's going to tell him. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. The last verse in the chapter leaves us with the very real possibility of a person not coming into the truth of these words. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. And he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. I suppose every well I know every passage in the Bible is good. And it is the Bible says all scripture is given by inspiration of God. So that this entire book is what has been said in the in the epistles later on, it's God breathed. So that God has actually breathed into this book. It's unlike any book. It's living, it's powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. But within the context of this book, there are other passages, some passages that are more turned to than others. They are more well-known. They're critical passages for specific points. John chapter 3 is a critical passage for the gospel. 
We go there over and over again. One of the most famous verses, well-known verses, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Very, very well-known. I came to know the Lord Jesus through that verse. I was just a young boy. I was about eight years of age. And I trusted the Lord Jesus. Found out that I was guilty. I was... I suppose I've realized that night too in the measure even as a young child. I was kind of hiding. I mean, nobody likes to come into the light. And yet that's exactly what I had to do that night when I found out I was lost. I was guilty. And the natural progression and pathway of my sins... Had I continued in them, whenever my life would stop, or if the Lord Jesus were to come, I would be in hell. It's not because I was more bad and wicked than anyone else. It was because I was a sinner. And God cannot allow sin into heaven. And the great truth of the gospel is this. That God wants people in heaven because He loves sinners. But he hates sin. He can't have sin in his presence. So enter John 3. Enter the solution for our problem. Your problem. Now let me just say one more thing tonight. I'm a visitor here, so I don't know everybody. But I will tell you this. You will not get any benefit out of preaching, out of the Bible, if you don't take it personally for yourself. You have to put yourself... In the Bible. And you know what? God has put you there. The problem is people don't realize it. Or they won't acknowledge it. Or they won't agree with it. When you read about the wicked, God says, that's us. When you read about sinners, that's us. When you read about the ungodly, that's you. That's me. What we came into the world as. Now, as bad as those words are and descriptions are, let me tell you something. The only way you will ever get God's salvation is when you come to understand that those descriptions, those titles upon each of us fit us for salvation. Because salvation is for the guilty. Salvation is for the lost. And the Lord Jesus says, I didn't come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Now that was the problem with this one man this evening who came to the Lord Jesus. He was a very self-righteous man. A very a man who knew his Bible. He was teaching things. He was up there in the Jew system. And he wasn't saved. So let, let's notice a few things here. Let me notice first of all when I come to this passage, the introduction to the gospel. The introduction to the gospel. Gospel simply means good news. And when you come to John's Gospel, it tells us, John tells us that it is specifically written that you might believe. So the character of John, the message of John, is really intended to punch home to people who are listening, this is written for me so that I could believe, so that I could find salvation. I can come to this book. What an amazing thing. That men and women, children, can come to this book And one moment you could be in your sins, lost, on your way to hell, not bound for heaven. And the next moment you could come to the realization that this is exactly why this was written. That I could find out what Christ did, why He did it, who He did it for, that I'm included. I'm the sinner that He loved. I'm the soul that He died for. 
Now there are people in this meeting that have found that out. And we're on our way to heaven. I'm going to heaven not because of anything I've done, but because of everything that Christ has done. It is all centered on His work. It was a work that He did. The Bible says salvation is of the Lord. That's what this man is going to find out this night. Nicodemus is going to find out tremendous truth. Now the introduction of the Gospel, it's interesting. John's Gospel is a little different from other Gospels. You'll find that most of John's Gospel is is different. There's different information. Now I'm not saying it disagrees. There's different stories. There's different accounts. There's different history. John's Gospel is not one of the synoptics, which are synonymous, the first three, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. John's Gospel is a little bit different. But when John's Gospel begins, it's interesting, he launches right out into the truth of the Lamb. He tells them about the Lamb. Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. Now that was familiar to them. You know what the Lamb was. It involved sacrifice. They had to kill lambs. And every time they killed one of these animals, there was the recognition, the understanding that that is my penalty. My penalty for my sin is death. And that is falling upon this innocent animal. And I am identifying my sins with this animal. So that what really, as we open this gospel, now this is the point, this is why I'm going to link the opening of this gospel with chapter 3. The introduction of the gospel is this, a lamb is brought in. And something that is very much alive is going to die. That's the point. Something that's very much alive is going to die. A lamb. When you come to chapter 3, he tells this man, you have to be born again. You have to get spiritual life. You know why? Because the contrast is this. Someone very much dead is going to have to get life. That's the contrast. With a lamb, something very much alive is going to have to die. Christ died. That lamb died for the ungodly. In John chapter 3, he's telling a man now, you don't have spiritual life. Nicodemus, you are very much spiritually dead. And the only way you can get into the kingdom of God is by being born again. You need life. That's the introduction to this gospel. He talks about a birth. We're all familiar with that subject. And it's interesting, there's four types of births in the Bible. There, there's well if you allow me to I'll call it that there's the birth from the soil that wasn't really a birth so much but when we've been hearing about God made Adam and he made him from the, from the earth so he brought the first man forth it was a unique one he gave life to this man then there are successive births that's the birth that we have in, in humanity and then there's the, the Savior's birth which was very very unique born of a virgin but you have spirit birth The Spirit, born from above. Now, I'm going to be very simple. You can't get to heaven without it. You can't get into the kingdom without it. So let me ask you, are are you born again? You're not going to be in heaven without being born again. Without being saved, same thing. Without being delivered, without being forgiven, 
Without having Christ as your Savior. You see, it doesn't say, the Lord Jesus didn't tell this man, Nicodemus, you need the best church out there. Nicodemus, you need to make sure that you've got all your I's dotted and your T's crossed. And you've got to make sure that you've done the right things in your life. Nicodemus, are you sincere? Because if you're not sincere, come on, there's no hope for you. Nicodemus, are you baptized? He didn't say any of those things. And when he is going to impress upon this man the truth that is going to open up the door to heaven and life from above, he points this man to himself, Christ. Because salvation is in a person. Salvation is in the Lord Jesus. It's not in a church. It's not in baptism. It's not in a ritual. It's not in a work. It's found alone in the Son of God. And he that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. And he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. So you see, really, it is quite simple. This man was confused because he was depending on what he thought. And that's what will happen to souls. You will be confused if you depend on what you think. But when you come to the Bible, and you read the words of the, the, words of the Lord, it's very clear. You see, God doesn't want any of us to live or die with a big question mark over us. He wants you to know. In fact, this same writer writes in 1 John chapter 5, These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. He wants you to know. That's why Christ came. I mean, mean, think about it. Really, even logically. Why would God fulfill all these prophecies? Why would God, the eternal God, give you a book that you could go back over and over and over again and read? Why would God send His own Son to suffer and die in that way? All for these reasons and then say, I really don't want them to know though. You know the great truth is He wants you to know. He wants you to know why He did it. He wants you to know that He loves you. He wants you to know that He's prepared a place for you. He wants you to know that He will spare and has spared no expense to make sure that you get to heaven and you don't die in your sins. That's the introduction to the gospel that He tells this man. But I want you to think about the inquiry to the gospel. The inquiry to the gospel. He comes with questions. Now I want you to think a little bit about this man because he was a, he was a Pharisee. Now a Pharisee, there were several parties. Just like you have uh, political parties, there were religious parties. You've got the Democrats, you've got the Republicans, you've got different political parties. There were religious parties, so that you have the Pharisees, and you have the Sadducees, and so on. The Sadducees were the liberals, the Pharisees were the conservatives. This man was very conservative. He knew his Bible inside and out. Can you imagine knowing your Bible, memorizing Let's put it in the context of today. An avid churchgoer and not going to heaven. Puts his money in the plate. A deacon in the church. Not saved. Not going to heaven. How about people maybe in this gathering? You know Christians. You associate with them. You maybe you have your name in a Bible. Maybe you have three Bibles with your names in them. 
But you've never been born again. There's never been a time in your life when you found out, I'm a, I'm a guilty sinner before God. I'm lost. I need to be saved. And it's not because of some financial crisis. It's not because of some issue of a psychological issue or some emotional issue or, or something where I just I needed a change uh, in my life. And so no, it's because there was a spiritual crisis. You were awakened, and you found out that I, this is beyond life itself. This is eternal. This goes right to the soul of what I am. And it needs to be dealt with. You ever have thoughts like that? And this man comes, now he's going to ask questions. You have the man in the inquiry. And you have the moment of the inquiry. I want you to notice that. It says he came to Jesus by night. Why would he do that? Well, I, I like to. I, I'm, I'm a positive thinker. I like to think that he came because he didn't want to wait till the next day. He wanted to get the matter settled. Now, I, I firmly believe that, the, that Nicodemus found salvation this night. I, I say something very interesting. If you were to take the time to read John's Gospel, you'd see there are three times that this man is mentioned. This is the first time. He's found again a little bit later in the Gospel. And then he's found again right at the end of the Gospel. But what's interesting is this. Of the three times that he's mentioned in the Gospel of John, chapter 3, chapter 7, chapter 19, is this. The one chapter refers back to this chapter. And it says, The same which came to Jesus by night. As far as I can tell, the other two passages aren't really in the night time. It's telling us that here's a man. The first time he comes to Jesus, he's in the dark. And now he's... That's all changed. Because he's found salvation. You know what a wonderful thing is? When a person finds Christ, they come out of the dark. They come into the light. They have a home that's light. They themselves pass, in fact, the Bible says, from darkness to light, from death to life. Has that ever happened to you? Have you made that passage? Have you passed from death to life? Have you come out of the darkness into the light? It will only happen if, if you do as you've been hearing. And you come with no excuses, no deals, Nothing in your hand. Because what could you bring? What could you bring or do that would ever compare to what Christ is and has done? Nothing. Salvation's of the Lord. That's why it's open for everyone. That's why it's to the whosoever. It reduces us all. And it reduced this man this night that he had to find out he wasn't going to be able to come and get to heaven as Nicodemus, the ruler of the Jews and the teacher of Israel. He was going to have to come just like everyone else, lost in his sins with nothing. No checklist, no medals, no merits, nothing. 
he didn't even have life. He comes at night. Let me tell you something else here. Not only the introduction of the gospel, the inquiry of the gospel, but let me just tell you a little bit on the, his ignorance of the gospel. He asks the question, how? How can these things be? How can this happen? How does this take place? You know, you ever hear some of the questions people ask? I don't know. In fact, I hope there's people that are asking questions. You know what's sad? I, I talk to people, and there are, I know there are Christians here, and, and you, you talk to other people about their souls because as, as a Christian, you care about where people are going. That's, that's what a Christian does. We do care. That's why this meeting is taking place. We care about where your soul is going to be for eternity. But you ask people and they just don't... Some could care less. Some don't have any questions. They don't have any concerns. Some, some are looking for a social place where they can fit in. Nothing wrong with that. But you won't get to heaven that way. Some are trying to fit, fill needs in their own life because of certain events and occurrences. I can, I can understand that. But you won't get to heaven that way. And you come as an honest seeker. You ask the right questions. And you find out that this involves you. And it should. Your soul, where you will be. You know, if I were to speak to you tonight, and I couldn't do it, but if I were to speak to you tonight about nuclear fission, that wouldn't really interest you too much probably. Unless there's some nuclear engineer here tonight, and then you'd want to listen to what I'm saying so that you could correct me. Or if I was going to speak about the, um, the importance of Laplace transforms in the mathematical field, it wouldn't interest you. It doesn't have anything to do with you. Or the migratory pattern of the monarch butterfly. That would be tremendous, right? You see, it just doesn't interest you because it doesn't concern you. You could care less. When you even hit one with your windshield of your car, it just really doesn't matter. But you know what? This subject, being born again, salvation, it involves every single person here and where you will be forever. So can I tell you, you really had better ask questions. Your eternity depends on you not only asking the right questions, but getting the right answers. That's why you've got to come to this book. That's why God wants you to know. That's exactly what this man did. Nicodemus. Asked the right questions, got the right answers. So let me just tell you at the end about... The illustration of the gospel that the Lord Jesus used for him. It's interesting that we like to tell stories. I, I tell stories when, when I preach. Others tell stories. And some of them can get, can get very overblown. Some of them can get very involved. I, what I think is significant is this. Here is someone, the Lord Jesus, who knew everything about the man he was talking to. He knew where he was last week. He knew what he had for dinner last month. He knew his friends. He knew events. He knew everything. He knew all the social context of his life. He could have put his finger and told an illustration that would have shocked Nicodemus. And he said, Nicodemus, he could have said, do you remember that man last week that did this? And he could have said, now that's an illustration of the gospel. But he didn't do that. I think it's significant that the illustration that the Lord Jesus uses... 
not only is in the Word of God, it comes right from the Word of God. Because the Word of God has power. And so He speaks to him, And He tells him about the serpent that was lifted up. As Moses lifted up the serpent that was in the wilderness. Now the Lord does this for two reasons. Why does He do that? I think number one is, He's taking him back to something that this man would be very familiar with. He's telling this man that how those people got salvation, when the serpent bit them, the story goes that they were dying then. They were as good as dead. In other words, the life was gone. And all they had to do to get salvation was look. There was a serpent lifted up, and the very thing that had clamped down upon their arm or their leg and had bit them, and was the reason for their dying, was the very thing they had to turn to in acknowledgement and say, I'm dying, I need to look. And they got salvation. I appreciated what my brother said, that the very thing that is causing us to be separated from God is the very thing that Christ died for. He took care of our greatest problem, my greatest need. But I think there's something else that the Lord Jesus is doing by using that serpent. He's not only going back ultimately to when those serpents bit those people, but the the mention of a serpent would bring them right back to the beginning of our Bibles. And another bite. When sin came into the world. And the only one who could solve it was when the Lord Jesus came into the world. No one else could take care of it. Listen, I I don't know where you're looking tonight. I don't know who you're looking to. I don't know what you're hoping for. But if you are looking or searching or hoping or feeling in anything else other than a crucified Christ, you will never get salvation. Never. But I want to tell you tonight that if you were to turn to the cross and look to Christ and trust Him as a lost and guilty sinner, you would not only get life, you would get eternal life. You would get the forgiveness of sins. A moment of time, you would be born again. Now is that what you want? You have to to answer that question. Because there are people tonight in this world and they are searching for a multitude of things. The next lottery ticket winner... The television show that they have to race home for. A a, a variety of things. There is a mad pursuit of sometimes they are so little and pathetic. And sometimes they are big things. But the point is this. If you don't search for the right thing, which is eternal life, you'll never wind up in heaven. And the sad reality is that there are people that wait too long. And they miss it. This man here got to Christ. He got to Christ at the right time, which was now. He came in the right way. He got the right thing. The illustration that the Lord Jesus uses tells this man why he came, why he died. Let me just ask you this. In the closing moments of this meeting, I don't want to sound macabre, but if you died tonight, where would you be? I don't want anyone to go home without thinking about the answer to that question. If tonight was your last night on earth, 
Where would you be when you took your first step into eternity? If you're in your sins, you will not, you cannot go to heaven. But if you have Christ, you're saved, you're born again, you are guaranteed to go to heaven. For God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. The problem is, when it comes right down to it, doesn't matter how young, doesn't matter how old, people love their sin. They want to hold on to their sin. They think because of that, there's more time. I will enjoy today and I will think about that tomorrow. But please, please understand this. There is going to come a time when tomorrow will never come. That's why this man came at night. That night. Is it worth forever? Forever? To lose your soul. We're not talking about joining a church. We're not talking about some name or title. Signing a book. This is heaven and hell. This is your future. This is where you will be forever. Now you've got to ask yourself the question. If I died tonight, where would I be? Forever. This chapter ends very simply, very solemnly. 